The Redneck Tech Podcast is brought to you by Diamondback Covers, the absolute best cover you could ever spend your money on. If you need an insurance policy for all the expensive gear on the back of your truck, then you need a Diamondback cover. Make the bed of your truck a vault with Diamondback. Are you, are you right here, right here? Yeah. You want him? What is up, everybody? This is Red Velvet, a.k.a. Ryer Porter. Isn't it the other way around, Ryer Porter, a.k.a. Red Velvet? I feel like most people know me more as Red Velvet than they do Ryer. So in that scenario, it would be Red Velvet first. You know? Well, It's kind of like my artist name. More that, people know me by the artist name than they do my real name. Well, in that instance, I am Clay, a.k.a. Clay, because I don't like any nickname anyone has ever... Clayblade. No, no. Like it's I said, Clayblade. Clay. It's Clayblade, and it's going to stick. No, it's not. And the reason it's going to stick is because you don't like it. If you liked it, you like Red Velvet and it stuck. So that just completely defalsified your the your thing, hypothesis. The thing with me is I've been given so many nicknames over the course of my career as a human that I that none of them phase me. I just accept them all. And Red Velvet stuck, and I happen to like it. It's one of the least offensive things that I've been called. That's fair. So, I'll take it. Um, anyways, welcome to the uh, Redneck Tech Podcast. It is me and Clay today. We are driving right now, him and I. He's driving. I am co-piloting. And we are headed to Illinois to do some spring pickups for Huntmasters. We've got some... Um, Pieces of content, scenes, and shots that we need to fill some storyline gaps in uh, the upcoming season. And we are on our way to go get some of those. Um, we're meeting Aaron Morgan there. So it's going to be all three of us on deck. It's going to be about four days of pretty solid shooting. Um, and I think it'll be a good time. I have not been out to the property in the spring. From what I've seen, it looks really pretty this time of year. So should be able to get some really cool shots, do some cool stuff. And, uh, yeah, anyways, that's what we're doing. And as always, whenever we drive for 10 to 11 hours, we figure we'll do a podcast. Helps us pass the time. Hopefully gives you guys some information. And uh, why not? We got this whole Roadcaster board, and she sits real nice, actually, uh, right in the middle of the two seats up here. I mean, it's it's uh, almost like it was meant to be. Yeah. And uh, today, on this one, we have solicited some questions from you guys on an Instagram post we put up yesterday, and uh, also on the stories. We did attempt to live stream this. That lasted for about a minute. Until we realized that we we're that was going to be too many things to try to do, between navigating, looking at the questions, uh, trying to interact with everybody on there, and make sure the phone didn't fall because we don't have a proper 
phone mount. I devise a solution with a windshield and gaff tape, and it was not a, not a solution because it didn't work. So you didn't it really devise have, anything. It would have worked if we had if it had to work. Well, the good thing about this is usually when Clay and I don't have Caleb, which I'm sure you guys have noticed that Caleb is not here right now. He's actually back at the office. He's editing, and then he's heading out. Um, to do some bow fishing with Chuck in a couple of days. Um, but usually, oh, Ooh, hey now. Hey, now everybody's going to hear. That's fine. Every time you make a mistake. That's fine. Um, usually when we live stream, Caleb chimes in and gives us a lot of crap the entire time. So now he can't do that. We're basically off the leash. This is Copeland Creative Unchained. Un- uncensored. Unfiltered. Unmonitored. Un- un-everything. Un- I mean... un Yeah. So, we're gonna... It's gonna be a good time. It's probably gonna be... You know, it's... <clears throat> as always, when... I am semi-in charge of the podcast, which... I feel like I am, since Clay has to devote a certain amount of attention to driving. And I can devote all of my attention to the podcast... Uh, there may be some ADHD-fueled uh, rabbit trails, but at this point, I think that you guys are used to that. You think, Clay? Well, it's almost expected at this point. It would almost be a disservice if I didn't. Correct. I think. Now, of course, maybe you guys don't think that, but you're listening, which means something. So, I guess let's start off. We'll start off with the comments that we got under the post. And uh, go from there. At Hardwoods Hunter commented, a deeper dive on audio would be helpful. So we will just, and we're doing this all off the top of our head, by the way. So these are not planned responses. We're just going to kind of fire from the hip on these ones. But we will do a deeper dive into audio. And uh, I guess we could do a rundown on infield audio and then maybe just a little bit about what to look for or do on the post-production side of the audio workflow because uh, both those things kind of go hand in hand. Yeah. So the first thing that I would recommend to anybody is get a microphone that's not the internal mic on your camera. Most cameras come with an internal microphone. All of them are very bad. You're going to get audio. It's not going to be good audio, and it's going to be hard to listen to. Um, It'll do in a pinch in an emergency situation, but you definitely don't want to rely on that audio if what you're looking for is good sound. Um... The first thing that you'd probably want to invest in is a uh, shotgun microphone of some sort. There's a lot of different brands out there. We've used a lot of different ones, and it also kind of depends on what camera you're using as far as which one is going to be good for you. Um, Most people who are in the DSLR mirrorless uh, kind of avenue Sennheiser and Rode both make really good um, DSLR mirrorless shotgun microphones. Um, And they're all pretty affordable. 
Um, so you can get one, I don't know, probably, I think I've seen them for 150 for one of Rhodes. Yeah, they're uh, like Rode Video Micro or something, like yeah. 139 or something like that. But, I mean, Rode also makes one, I think, I think the one Caleb has is like 310 or... F- Which is the Video Mic Pro, right? Rode, Rode Video Mic Pro. Yep, so the only thing that I would say with those particular microphones is Rode does have one, and I can't remember the name of it, but it's one of their video mics, and... It's a shotgun microphone, and it's cradled inside these red shock mounts. And the only thing that I've kind of found or heard complaints about with that one is if you're kind of dual-purposing with your DSLR or your mirrorless, and you put that microphone into your hot or cold shoe, a little bit of that mic actually hangs off the back of the camera. And so if you're shooting photos with the viewfinder, which is what I would recommend, that's how I do it, um... I know that's how Caleb does it. Do you shoot with the viewfinder? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, you won't be able to put your eye up to the viewfinder. So if you're if you're kind of going back and forth, you shoot some video, then you switch it to pictures and shoot some pictures, I would not get that one. Um, I'm pretty sure that is kind of their middle-of-the-line one. Might be their one of their cheaper ones. Um, but, like I said, just watch out for that. It's something that I didn't think about until... I saw it on a camera or used it on a camera, and it was pretty apparent that that was going to be a pain in the butt. Um, the one thing I would say about the VideoMic Pro is it runs on separate batteries, the one that Caleb has. And I think I think he has to, I think it's rechargeable. Is it? I think so. I hate that even more. Yeah. I am not a huge fan. I don't like rechargeable things. Like like microphones, because I like be, if something I dies, like, I like yeah. being able to replace the power in it to get it working again. Right, and it's a lot easier to get double A's and triple A's than it is to get ten super specific different batteries for something, or carry a bunch of cords and battery packs to charge yeah. things in the field. Um. Oh my gosh, there's a Casey's. Well, I totally forgot we were in Casey's country. I totally forgot that we were going to the promised land of Casey's gas stations. Back to your regular scheduled programming. Um, this is regular scheduled programming. We are on a regular scheduled programming right now. And we just passed to Casey's. And now I'm excited because I think I haven't had Casey's breakfast pizza for three or four months. I haven't had it since November. It might have been November for me. It's been a long time, and now I'm excited to get Casey's breakfast pizza. And if I don't get Casey's breakfast pizza... It's going to be a long ride home with you. I'll riot. I will riot. It's going to be a long ride home with you. Yeah. So One thing I will say to get us back on track with the mirrorless (laughs) or DSLR cameras running shotgun mics is the preamps or basically the... Your preamp is... This little thingy, I guess, that controls the loudness of your audio. Before it gets put into the camera. Correct. Which is why it's called a preamp. And the preamps in your DSLR mirrorless is suck. 
they suck so bad that the ones that are in the shotgun mics are better. So what you need to do, and every camera is different, but you need to look up. You basically go into your audio settings on your camera and turn your you run in, run it you want to run your audio on DSLRs and mirrorlesses on manual and you want to go in there and you want to turn your audio all the way down until it's off in your DSLR and then turn it on one click that way that the camera can read audio coming in um, but it's reading the lowest amount and then control how loud it's going into your camera from the microphone hmm. if that makes any sense because oh, a lot of people that will have problems with hissing and things like that from shotgun mics on DSLRs and mirrorlesses is because the preamp of the camera is controlling your audio and not the preamp of the shotgun mic. Because the preamps and the and the cameras are m- meant to run the uh, internal mic, which is a garbage. So there's a tip. See, I didn't even know that. Yep. But I al- I also don't really ever run. A yeah. DSLR or mirrorless. Yeah. So I guess I've never had to really think about that. I run mine as a second angle, and I put a shotgun mic on just to, just to sync audio. So as long as yeah. you can tell what people are saying, that's really all I need. But So that is the first thing to do if you're looking for a way to step up your audio in the field. Get a shotgun microphone. Second, oh, I would like to add to that. If you have a, um, if you have a camera with XLR inputs then you can buy a just a shotgun microphone. Um, Sennheiser or Rode makes those, um, and they're XLR. They're all going to be pretty good. Uh, we run, like, three different types between all three of us. I don't even remember Mine, what the Mine's one is. a Sony. Is yours? Uh-huh. Um, and you can just buy one of those, and it'll mount in there. And if you've got a camera with XLR mounts, then you're probably... You probably already have one of those. And if you don't, definitely add it to the kit whenever you buy that camera. Um, Then past that, the next thing you're going to want to do is invest in some lav mics, some lavalier mics. Um, Shotgun microphones are great for capturing ambient audio, capturing what people are doing, kind of the noises of the woods or the noises of people walking or shooting their bow or shooting guns or doing whatever it is. Um, and obviously if you point them at somebody who is talking, you'll pick it up. Uh, they also sometimes have a bad habit of picking you up as you're breathing behind a microphone after you've just hiked up an entire mountain, um, just depending on the, I guess, capture pattern of the microphone. But they're not super great for crisp dialogue, especially if the person is not facing directly into the microphone capture cone or the head of the microphone or if they're any distance away or if there's wind um, really you need a lav mic to get that and you guys know how big of proponents we are um, for in the field dialogue for capturing and producing a lot of that and to do that you really want you really want a lav mic um I run the Sony lav mics, uh, the UPD something or other. I'm. This is one of my 
It's the two. Cha- it's yeah. the it's, it's the, the set. Du- it's the dual channel wireless. Yeah. So basically, you have one receiver which goes on the camera. Yep. And then it, it comes with two separate packs to go on individuals. So you're getting basically two microphones and one one, one unit on the camera. Mm-hmm. I know Caleb runs uh, the Sennheisers, the OGs. Uh, you can never go wrong with those. You run uh, I have Ceramonic? I have OG Sennheisers, mm-hmm. and then I also have exactly what you have from Sony, but they're made by Ceramonic. What's the price point on those? $225, bucks, I think. For the whole system? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. Well, I, sorry, I take that back. Mine's not dual channel. Mine's one mic, one receiver. Okay. But it will run off the hot shoe. Okay. I don't run it off the hot shoe, but it will. It's I'm, So you have like a Ford Explorer, and then you have a Lincoln Navigator. Same exact vehicles, two different companies. The Lincoln Navigator is your Sony's. The Ford Explorer is my Ceremonics. I got you. I do know that the Sony Dual Channel Wireless is a pretty expensive system, and to replace one of the microphones or one of the uh, transmitters is like, $400 or something like that. Stupid. Yeah. Um, they're really good. I had some issues with them on the FS7 that I'm hoping uh, are resolved in the FX6. And so we're going to actually see if that is the case up here. Um, but definitely invest in at least one lav mic. Most people only need one lav mic. Um just to mic up the one hunter you're with. If you're with multiple people, multiple hunters, that's where you might look into a dual channel or just running two sets of lav mics. Um, I know mine, I can use mine with a DSLR or a mirrorless, or I can use it on a big camera with an XLR input, and most wireless mic packages, you can do that. Yeah, most Um, of them will come with an XLR cord and a Mm 3.5-millimeter cord. Yep. So that would be the next move. And actually, we had a question. Well, while while I'm thinking about it, um, if you're someone that lives out west and you primarily hunt elk, get the shotgun mic before you get the lav mic because your shotgun mic's going to get more of the, the bugling and the calling and things like that. And if you have to go back and do cutaways of audio and things like that of the person facing the camera, you can do that. Your lav mic isn't going to get that ambient calling because it's going to, their calling is going to be garbage out of a lav mic because it's going to be way too loud because it's going to be right next to it. Um, and same thing with turkey hunting. If you primarily only do turkeys, which most people, if they do turkeys, they also do whitetail. But if you're doing primarily elk or primarily turkeys and you can only afford one mic get the shotgun and then if you do primarily whitetails and you can only afford one get the lav mic it's my opinion see i would say get the i would say get the shotgun first in all cases that would well, be there's not there's not so much ambience in whitetail that you can't get with a lav mic and then the the lav mic for whitetail hunting, there's just so much that goes on in the tree where 
with a sh- like because most of the time when you're filming someone in a tree, their backs to you. Right. So not being able to monitor what they're saying in headphones with their back to you, um, I mean, to me is a lot more important than getting that ambient. Um, you but, just have to do a little bit of work in yeah. the post production. Yeah, side you can of always go in and get an ambient sound from YouTube or something and drop it in. But I would think being able to communicate with your hunter on shooting lanes and there's a deer, you can shoot them, don't shoot them, things like that, and then having to worry about getting all the ambient stuff after that um, would work. But they all, if you already have both, um, one thing I found when I was first running just a DSLR is they make a 3.5 millimeter splitter, and it's not a splitter for, like, putting into your phone and two people being able to listen to the same song on two different sets of headphones. You basically, it's 3.5 on all three ends. You plug it into the 3.5 millimeter jack on your DSLR or mirrorless, and then you will plug your shotgun and your uh, lav mic into them, one to each end, because your mirrorless and your DSLR, they record a left and a right, but it only comes out as one channel. When you have this splitter, it's like $11 on Amazon. I can't remember what it's called, but it's a splitter. One has a red end, and the other end is black. Um, and it will split those channels into two separate channels. And it almost it kind of tricks the camera, and it makes a camera that can't record it into two audio channels being able to record two audio channels. And it's like $11. That way, if you have a DSLR and you only have one mic input, you can run that. So... Does basically records one to the left channel of a stereo and one to the right channel, right? Yeah, and then and you, you just have to separate split them. them. Yeah, in it'll post. it'll import as one channel, but I know in uh, in like in Premiere you would click that audio channel, right click, go to audio channels, and then instead of clicking, instead of having one audio channel selected, you would change that to where it would show two audio channels, and you'll get a left and a right. Mm-hmm. So we also had a question relating to lav mics from uh, Hunting Common Ground, and uh, he asked, "What are we got? What are we using?" Uh, we covered that. How are you using them? And then um, he said, "I ran one this weekend for the first time on a hunt. My hunter would forget to turn it on half the time. Do I just leave it on from the truck till we're back?" Also, we had a bird coming in, and I could hear in my headphones, or all I could hear in my headphones was the movement of his shirt and uh, as he was breathing. So mic setup techniques, too, would be really helpful. That's a new one. We haven't gotten that question. So, yeah, let's go through that. Uh, first first of all, yes, as soon as, as soon as we leave the truck and start hunting, the mic is on. Um, I always leave it on. That's why, again, I like to have the AA batteries. My my Sony runs off of camera battery, actually. So my receiver, which is mounted into the hot shoe of my FS7, now the FX6, runs off of batteries from the camera, so I don't have to power it with AA's. Uh, my transmitters, or the body packs that people wear, are powered by AA's. And I always like to keep an extra set of mics or an extra set of batteries for as many mics as I'm running. So if I'm in the field, I take 
six double A's. That's two extra double A's for every unit, two receivers and or two transmitters and one receiver, um, just in case something weird happened and the receiver wasn't able to receive power from the camera. I've got a backup set of double A's for it, and then I've got a backup set of double A's for my lav mics. I like to start every day with a fresh set of lav mic or lav mic batteries. Um, but you like you can usually get almost if if you're good about turning them off as soon as you get done or turning them off when you're just sitting around kind of in the midday lull or something like that. Um, you can usually get a couple days of runtime out of your uh, batteries on mine, and I think that's the same for the Sennheisers that Caleb runs. How about uh, your Ceramonics? Uh, well, I run the Sennheisers now. Okay. I just my Ceramonics are my backup. But um, if anyone's seen the like the Bino Pack videos I've done that I carry on my chest when I film, I always have like if before a trip, if I go buy a sixteen pack of double A's, I put that entire sixteen pack of double A's in that Bino harness, and then and you just have them. I just let the I just let the batteries run out. And then once they run out, I replace them. I don't change them. And the only reason I do that is because I ca- I know I carry enough batteries at all times. So, I mean, I, like on my chest, I have like 16 or 18 double A's at all times. So yeah. that's the only reason why I do that. If I was only bringing six in the field, I would turn them off. But obviously, if we're getting out of the stand and going back to the lodge, I'll turn them off. But um, other, than that. other than that, I mean, like if we were – if we get up in the morning, I hand – whoever it is, the microphone, I usually, most of our clients have done it enough that they don't usually turn it on until we're about to do dialogue in the stand for the first time. Um, And then whenever they give it back, usually they give it back to me because they don't want to break it or lose it. They'd rather that be my fault. And if they give it back to me, I'll turn it off like whenever we get back. Um, But if we're sitting all day, I never turn it off. Yeah, I, I really leave my mics on all the time. Because, um, I mean, you think about it, you're sitting in a stand with somebody or turkey hunting or whatever, like, nothing's happening and they're not talking to the camera, but that's always when something's coming in and they need to tell you, hey, something's coming in, don't move. So, that's really, I mean, like, so, like, we're filming with Greg and Greg doesn't address the camera, so he never wears a mic. And we're even trying to get him to wear a mic just so that we can communicate with him better and not even use it in the edit. We just want it because it's like wearing an, it's like wearing a walkie-talkie with yeah. someone um so if you're we're in a walkie-talkie with somebody and you turn it off half the time what's the point of having it um so i use it more as a communication piece than anything else so and I the never... batteries really aren't that bad no. and if you've got most most wireless mics run off of doubles or triple a's most are double a's that i've seen it's stupid easy to carry forty thousand double a's in your pack i mean i think my ceremonics where I think I paid whatever. I did not, for what you can buy, lav, like my lav mics, my Sennheisers, the OG ones are like 325 bucks brand new. My Ceramonics are half that price and sound like some redneck on TV can't tell the difference in the two. Um, and I, those Ceramonics, I mean, I can get... If I sat all day, those batteries would be toast by the end of the day, but I could get all day on one set of batteries. Yeah. So they don't, that's not like a camera battery where, battery where they're sucking juice out of them all the time. So moral of the story is, yes, leave them on all the time. Um, now, when you talk about 
all you were able to hear is the movements of the hunter and their breathing or as they were taking breaths. That's something that you're going to fight always. It's super hard because of how lav mics are mounted and the wiring. It's really hard to get super, super clean audio. If somebody's moving, you're going to hear it. Um, a lot of that also I have noticed when someone's wearing a like face mask and neck gaiter. Yeah, it's a lot um, more exaggerated. And I think he said he was turkey hunting, so that might have been it. The person was wearing a face mask, and you have that face mask falling off the neck and hitting the very top of that mic, yeah. which makes that crackling sound. Because I don't think ever whitetail hunting I ever have the issue. Um, but yeah, tur- I'll get it a little bit yeah. like if, when somebody draws yep. or they're reaching around for whatever, you'll have it. Yeah. But generally, so what I try to do is you take the you take the head of the of the lav mic the actual microphone part um, I usually try to run it under as many pieces of clothing as I can or at least under whichever one they're not going to take off ever uh, and then try to find a place kind of middle of the chest where you can mount it and clip it somewhere secure that hopefully doesn't move too much. Some guys uh, will clip it to bino harnesses. I if hate not, that. clip God, it I to the like the zipper part of a jacket or something like that. A lot of times if they have, like if it's cold and they have an outer layer that has a chest pocket, if your mic pack is small enough, you can kind of wrap the cord around the transmitter and stick it in that pocket and then just have the cord or have the head of the mic outside the zipper a little bit mm-hmm. and that works well i really 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 beg people not to put them on their bino harness because you don't realize how many times someone uses their binos hunting until the mic's attached to it and you're listening to everything they do and every time they pull something out of that mic pack or touch their binos or that mic pack kick something and that scratch crackles in your ear um i really try to avoid people doing that but that's just me yeah, it just kind of depends. Because I had listened to it for 30 straight days this year. Sure. So. Yeah, the main thing is you want to try to put it somewhere where it's not going to catch a whole lot of movement. It's not going to be rubbed up against by loose fabrics or it's not going to be it's not going to be in the way of any like normal movements that they do, but the thing with lav mics especially especially cuz when you're hunting You've got to set your lav mics really, really loud to be able to hear the whispering. And so you're just naturally going to pick up a lot of that stuff. Um, you can also use gaff tape or electrical tape or the we, we have some specialized, uh, I guess, little it's like fuzzy li- thing. It's like a it's housing. Like a, yeah, it's like a little fuzzy housing, basically, with an adhesive backing uh, to stick under people's clothes and then you can stick it on the inside of a shirt or if you really want to get fancy they make um they make these little things that are are made for kind of like stage actors and stuff like that where you can actually stick it to somebody's chest i'm we don't ever do that and i don't think any of our clients would really want us to but you can do that i've heard that way is super super clean but for the most part you're going to get pretty good results 
if you just try to stick it middle of the chest, uh, try to secure it to something that is not in the way, isn't going to move too much, and it's not getting brushed up on all the time. And then also trying to make sure that you don't just have a whole bunch of slack cord running around everywhere. So take that, clip it wherever you're going to clip it, run the mic transmitter pack wherever they're going to have it, and then take whatever extra cord you have and wrap it around the uh, pack and then put it there and leave it. And that way there's just not a whole bunch of random cord to be floating around, rubbing on things, catching on stuff, whatever it may be. There's kind of a fine line with that cord. Um, If it's too loose, it catches on things and, and pulls and it cracks which that could have been what he what he was hearing was not so much it scratching from hitting things, but it could have been the cord cracking. So, but sometimes you can have it too loose where it cracks because it pulls on things, or you can have it too tight where every time they move they pinch it and it cracks. Um, so that could be something I fight that all the time too. Yeah, lav mics you're gonna fight all turkeys? the time. No, those are no no vultures. You're going to fight live mics all the time, uh, no matter what you're doing. So it just kind of comes with the territory and really just kind of mess around. And if you find if you find that there's a, you know, you keep hearing some certain movement, you know, it's okay to stop your hunter and be like, hey, let me, I keep hearing this movement. Let's reposition the mic or something like that. Because clearly wherever it's at isn't working or you're getting a lot of noise from it. So don't be afraid to kind of stop reposition it check it make sure that the noise is clothing and not something wrong with the mic or something in the connection or something like that because you can get noise and crackling and audio cutting out from a bad wire a bad connection just as easily as you can rubbing against things and then also and Caleb always says this I always say this Clay always says this Wear headphones. Always monitor your audio. You can't trust levels on the camera. Levels on the camera tell you that you are getting audio, but it's not telling you what kind of audio you're getting. So you could be picking up audio, but it could just be a bunch of static noise. It could be cutting in and out. It could be too loud. It could be a little too soft. Don't ever trust just seeing levels on your camera. Always wear your headphones. Always be monitoring because that way you can hear and tell immediately when there is something wrong with the microphones. You can try to adjust it on camera. You can troubleshoot it then and there and adjust it. Um, and also you can use them as a uh, as a communication device. Here's a question for you. Yeah. Do you run both audio channels out to each ear, bud, or do you do left channel to left earbud and right channel to right earbud i i have one channel per earbud mm, I know because Ca- i know caleb does that too i don't I'd, i do both channels to to each earbud and then i cut one of the i cut the left earbud out and only listen to only have the right earbud so i i like to have both of them and that well i like to have one each that way I, when I want to check audio, like say I'm getting my pre-hunt interview, I'm going to check, I'll like close the one ear, 
take the headphone out for the one that corresponds to the shotgun audio, take that headphone out, close that ear, say, give me a test. I can listen just to the wireless microphone, switch them around. Okay, test. I can listen just to the shotgun. Boom, I know both microphones are good. And if there is an issue, I can easily troubleshoot that real quick. If I'm hearing, like, uh, scratching or one's too loud or too soft or whatever, I can figure out exactly which one it is just by switching ears real quick, taking one out, listening, taking the other out, listening, and then I know immediately which one it is and I can fix it. Gotcha. Um, so, yeah, that's what I do. Uh, hey, fun fact, you can get free headphones on airlines. You're welcome. At least Delta. You're welcome. So, did you tell me that? Yeah. Was that your tip? Yeah. I Well, I put that on Instagram. Yeah. So now every time I go, even though I have my own headphones that I use on the planes, I still ask for one, and I am now collecting a bunch of different headphones. I mean, I think, in, I think in my case, I have like four pair of headphones. Yeah. So. Also, another audio tip, as you guys are building kits to take out into the field. Uh, God, buzzkill. I know. I thought I'd turn that off. Also, because you were interrupted, I'm going to interrupt you. That doesn't make any how sense. How long, how years, how many years old were you when you realized that you could take your headphones out of your camera and plug them into your phone to watch videos in the stand? I was this past fall years old <laughs> when I finally realized I could do that. Hmm. Were you just now years old when you realized that? <laughs> I guess I've never thought about it because I really don't watch videos in the stand. No. I guess. Because I feel like if I start watching a video, I'm really out of touch with what's happening. Well. You know what I mean? Well. Didn't you just say not having a microphone on is useless? And then you're telling me that you're going to take <laughs> you're gonna take the headphones that you use to monitor that headphone, that microphone, and you're going to watch a YouTube video? Clay... You've played yourself. You've called yourself out. That is unacceptable behavior. Educational videos. Yeah? Yeah. Mm. Watching Redneck Tech videos, boosting our own numbers on YouTube. I appreciate that. But also, you said never turn off the mic. That's as good as turning it off. I I bamboozled myself. Yeah. Next. I think it also depends on what the... I'm definitely a little bit more willing to watch a video or... Like, I listened to a podcast, actually, last year with with uh, Ernie in the stand. Because it was, like, the middle of the day, yeah. and we are in a box blind looking over a, a cut cornfield. Yeah. I was like, I'll just look. It, and it was windy as heck, so it was like, I'm not going to randomly hear something. Yeah. And you don't hear, you usually, unless it's super yeah, still. Yeah, when you have headphones in something. anyways, you're not hearing anything. So yeah. It's like when we're turkey hunting, we have headphones in. I just heard a gobble, but I have no idea where it was. Yeah. Did you hear that? Yeah. Where'd it come from? No idea. Um, literally anywhere. Could have been anywhere. There's no direction on these headphones. Um, so quick tips now on the post-production side. We've really went into detail on the audio. We ought to just stop it here and name this the audio podcast, but we won't. We'll see questions. Um, this will be a real quick rundown. When you are when you pull your audio in first of all, make sure that your audio isn't peaking and isn't crossing zero decibels on your camera. You don't ever want the audio meter to hit the end when you're recording on the camera. Uh, 
and if you have headphones in, you'll know when the audio is distorting, but just be real careful. Um, air on the side of a little bit too quiet as opposed to a little bit too loud. When you bring audio into Premiere, um, the main oh, thing... Geez. Oh, my gosh. We're just swerving all over. Sorry. Guys. Wind's bad. It has been real bad today. Um, I have some general levels that I try to hit with different things. So when I'm in Premiere, and this is the same for any editing program, I usually try to get my lav mic or people talking to hit around negative 9 to negative 12 decibels on the audio scale in Premiere. Usually I start my music at negative 10 decibels unless somebody is talking, and then I duck it or lower the volume at least another 10 decibels, so it's negative 18, negative 20, sometimes negative 25, depending on the music and who's talking and the scene and how, let, uh, how clearly you can hear the person talking. Um, I, I l lower it down when they're talking and bring it back up, and then a general rule of thumb for ambient audio is negative 18, negative 25, negative 30, somewhere in that realm. Uh, you can even do lower if you want it to be real subtle, but those are kind of your benchmarks. You usually want your total mix or all of the sounds put together to come out negative 3 to negative 6 decibels, give or take. Um, and you never want to go over zero decibels. Zero decibels is the limit. If you go over zero, it's going to start clipping. It's going to start distorting. Um, and really, when you're editing audio in Premiere, it's super important to have that audio fade in and out of each other. Really harsh audio cuts, whether it's going from no sound to sound, or one sound to another sound, or into somebody talking, out of somebody talking, uh, the front end of songs, whatever it is, if it cuts super abruptly, your, your viewer is going to notice that, and it's super jarring. So on the visual side of things, we say we're really not fans of the cross-dissolve transitions, and that's true. Audio-wise, all day, every day, cross-dissolve everything. Front, back of clip, almost always cross-dissolve. Um, I mean, I'll legitimately go in like I you can Command Shift D. Yeah, I you go can select in, all your audio. Command yep, Shift that's D. That's what it. I do. Yep. And then you can just go and kind of finesse it. Make sure you know if you're fading between two clips and you Command Shift D. Sometimes you'll pick up a little bit of that audio that you cut off on the back end of that cut just because it's fading. So you can finesse it a little bit, um, but like always having a cross dissolve. Uh, I think in Premiere it's called Constant Power. I use that one a lot. You can also use an exponential fade. But on the front and back end of every clip is super important, and it's going to really add to the uh, flow and the continuity of your sound. That's the first thing I ever learned from Caleb. Yeah? Yeah, when I was up there editing in front of him the first time, and I was like, all right, what did I do wrong? Why don't you like literally the first thing he, would, he went is pointed out all the little – because, like, you don't notice it until it's pointed out to you, but every time an audio clip starts and stops and there's no audio before it or after it, there's like a there's like a pop. Mm -hmm. And that's what you're doing fading it out is you're getting rid of that pop. And once you hear it and see on the timeline where it happens, you'll never edit again without seeing and hearing it 
Um, and that's the first thing he ever showed me. He's like, yep, you hear that? You hear that? You hear that? And basically went in, like you said, selected all my audio, command shift D, and uh, it basically sets in Premiere that sets the default transition for those clips. Yep. And, uh, yeah. So. Uh, the other thing is, unless you have a stylistic reason to not have the natural sound or to not have any sound at all for clips, you either have to – see, my – my brain ran away from me there. I had one place, and then I went another place, and now we have no places. You always have to have a sound under a clip, no, either have no to matter have, what. You either have to have no sounds or sounds. Like, if you have music and you have clips over top of it, um, I'm a big fan of either having no sounds for any of the clips or having all sounds for the clips, or at least some environmental sound or some ambient sound. Um, I think it's super jarring when, like, just a random clip will have sound and another clip won't have sound. Um, obviously, for artistic reasons, you can get away with it. Uh, and certain videos, like, it just doesn't matter if you do or don't have sound and just having the music is fine. Like, uh, what, like what we're saying is if you have, say you have a sequence of two shots of a guy walking through the woods, like, you have music, and then you have two shots of a guy walking through woods and then a shot of a chainsaw cutting down a tree, and then th- another shot of the guy walking away from that tree, and your walking shots have walking sounds, but the chainsaw has no chainsaw sound, you subconsciously, like, you feel like that's out of place because yeah. you hear you hear what's happening in the shots previous to the chainsaw, but you don't hear anything happening in the chainsaw, and it, it mentally tells you, like, something's not right. Yeah, and when you're editing, a really simple thing to do is go find some, and I even shoot this kind of audio now when I'm sitting in a stand, sitting wherever. I point the camera in a direction, don't touch it, press record, and get like three minutes, two minutes, whatever, of just the sound that's happening. I try to pick... And I, it, I, I will turn the lav mic off on my camera for that in case the camera, in case the hunter says something, he doesn't mess it up, which you can yeah. always delete it and take it out. But I just turn the mic off for yeah. that. And so the nice thing about that is you can take that two minutes, lay it continuously under the entire scene that you're cutting, and now you've got a bed of sound under all of the clips. So you don't have to worry about fading every single one of them or if one of them has some sound that you don't like or whatever having literally the same sound at the same level with all the same qualities under the whole scene is going to really glue it all together and then you can take you know your footsteps put them over that you can take your chainsaw and put them over that and they're going to feel almost cemented in that in that environment of ambient sound and then you know you just use those crossfades to crossfade them in and out Boom, you're golden. Most of the time when I when I film those, I try to film them either it dark, before, like in the dark in the morning or in the dark as like the last clip. I try to do it the first and last clip of each hunt. That way when I need to go in and get it, I know it's that black, it's that black clip that has nothing in it on my card when I go into, into edit. Or if I do it like in the middle of the day at the beginning and end of each clip, before I or I'll hit record, put my hand in front of the lens yeah. so I know I didn't film anything, 
And then right before I end the clip, I'll put my hand in front of it again. Yep. So there's a basic rundown of post-production audio and uh, the lav mics. Hopefully that helps. Next question comes from Wyatt Fetched. I hope I said that right. I have, uh, I'm not always the best at that, but he says he wants an episode about y'all's favorite ways of lighting, both when dealing with natural and adding artificial light would be cool. Um, we should do that with Aaron while we're here. Yeah, I don't think I've heard an episode about that yet from y'all. So Aaron actually is really, really good at lighting. We are good enough to be dangerous. I think all of us would agree to that classification of our lighting skills. We can get it done. We can get it done. It's going to look nice, but it's not going to be anything crazy. It's also Uh, hard to talk about something like that when you can't show it. Right. Um, And... That, along with many other things, is on our list of things to do once the studio gets done. And Caleb told us today on our way up here they just got done sanding the drywall after they plastered it. They're painting tomorrow. Carpet will be in, and then we can move all of our stuff up there. So, But we can try to cover that. I mean, we really don't do a lot of fancy stuff. We don't really do any studio work, so we don't have any of these giant, elaborate filming setups. But really the most of... The most lighting we do, I would say, out while we're filming is pictures. Would be bouncing or diffusing during pictures, or I know, like, when we'll do interviews for the Spy Point series, we're bouncing or diffusing. Yeah. But other than that, we're not really... I mean, because you got to think about it, how bright the sun is. If you're adding artificial light in the middle of the day, that light has to be super, 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 super bright. And that means that light is going to be super, super, super expensive. So I would say I think I did, we'll say, close to 100 days this past fall from August to uh, February. And I think I used a light outside once. Everything else was a bouncer diffuser. Yeah, so for most of our outdoor work, we're not... We're not. We're really not doing any crazy setups. Um, most of the time, ninety percent of the time, we're in the field. We're in a stand. We're in a box blind. We're running around in the mountains, the hills, whatever it is. And so you're really just working with the light that you've got. The guiding principle to working outside in the light is shoot everything during golden hour. That's that first and last hour of light where the sun is really low. It's soft. You get those really nice, uh, warm tones. Uh, maybe some of the cooler tones in the in the very early, very late uh, part of that golden hour. Um, all your light is very even. You're not going to have a whole ton of sh- shadows. That's the easiest and best time, and that's when everything is going to look the best. Uh, as the sun, as the day goes on, and as the sun rises and gets brighter and gets harsher, uh, you're going to start to get a lot of those shadows. And that's what you're really trying to avoid. Especially, if, like, hunting, everyone wears a hat hunting. And the yep. later in the day you go, the more shadow that bill of someone's hat is going to put on their face. And that's probably the hardest one to get rid of. Yep. So, um, you know, that's probably the simplest thing to do. Um, the next is filming when it's overcast. So... It's nice when you've got a day and it's overcast outside. You can film all day in really nice, even light. Uh, It's not always, like, quote-unquote, the prettiest light. It's not always going to bring out a lot of that color and contrast that you might 
get with a a golden hour sort of lighting, but uh, you can film it all day and you're not going to get any harsh shadows. The next thing is just look at where the sun is at and make sure that the person you're filming is facing the sun, like their face is looking at the sun. Uh, that's going to get you the best results in a pinch, and that's literally like you can just spin around in 360. Uh, if you're in doubt, just have the person stand there and say, spin around here real quick and just walk around them in a 360 circle and see where the light hits them the best and film. You do that a lot. Uh, the next thing you can do is find a shady spot. So this is now we're getting into if the sun is bright and overhead, you know, go find a shady spot. Go find under some trees. Go film under the awning uh, or under the porch of a house. Go film inside of a barn. Go film somewhere where, uh, you know, you've got something that is shading your subject. The important thing is their background also needs to be shaded. And so this is something that you'll probably learn, and definitely I learned it the hard way, is if your subject is going to be in the shade, their background also needs to be shady. If they're going to be in the sun, then their background also needs to be in the sun. Cameras are good. They're not that good. They're not going to be able to... Um, expose for a person in the shade and not blow out a bright sunny background and similarly you're not going to be able to expose somebody who's in the bright sunshine and then retain details in the shadows uh, now if you had to do it it's probably better to have somebody in the sunshine and have their background be in the shadows as opposed to the other way around uh, but that is also where <coughs> you can start using kind of a bounce to really start adding a little bit of pop to your images. And so if you have somebody in the shade with uh, some shade in the background and you take a bounce, which is a reflector or whatever, it's basically a circle of, of reflective fabric, uh, and you find some sun and you bounce that light onto their face, it will give their give their face a really nice pop of light and it'll separate them from that that background it'll make them a little bit brighter from that background and that looks really nice and so that's what clay was talking about when he said for a lot of these interview setups they're bouncing that light um, this is also a great way to even out the light if the sun is a little bit overhead and somebody's got shadows on their face you can take that bounce and basically you redirect that sunlight up under their hat brim into their eyes their face uh, basically reducing some of those shadows or if you have a way to take that bounce and put it directly over them and shade their entire front half of their body yeah that works well too yep again as long as your background is shaded too yep um and along the same lines a lot of bounces are kind of like four and ones we always use the silver side there is a gold side I really don't see people using the gold side except for, for kind of fashion stuff, and we're not in the I fashion would, industry. I, mean, I would think that would make your reflection warmer. It does. Is what I would assume. Yeah. I've yeah. Never, my, we use, they have silver, gold, black, and then the bounce itself, like the frame of it, is a silk white diffuser on both sides. So you basically have silver reflection or natural reflection the gold would be warm i've never ever used that um and then the black is gonna 
basically create shade and then your white silk fabric the diffuser is going to soften the light and so that's where you would put that diffuser over somebody in between them and the sun and it's essentially going to take that really harsh direct sunlight and soften it so it falls a little bit nicer on their features and won't create as harsh sharp shadows light light still gets through it just it it kind of rednecky d- description the light hits it and reflects almost through the fabric and then comes out evenly no matter what angle it's hitting the fabric at it's almost like shooting like if you have a hose and you just were spraying somebody with the hose directly versus misting putting, them, misting them or like putting a screen door in front of it yeah. and spraying somebody through the screen door. Yeah. Kind of the same concept. Um, as far as indoor or night lighting, we really just try to find bright places to shoot. And if we are going to shoot um, in the dark or at night, then we stick to a pretty simple kind of three light setup. Uh, you have your main light, which is going to be kind of quartered off to one side of your subject. Um, you're going to take another light, make it a little softer, put it on the other quarter, um, basically where they're kind of 45 degree angles. And then we usually like to take a light and either put it above or behind them to rim light their their silhouette or their their frame. And that kind of separates them from the background. It's really hard to talk about that on a podcast. I would Google three light setups and see how people do it. Uh, a lot of it's kind of guess and check. A lot of it's just a, uh, hey, let's we start with the quarter here, quarter there, light in the background, mess with levels, mess with direction, and kind of dial it in from there. I think the issues I've seen people have with lighting is they have the bright, the light's too bright on the face and it, you can see the light reflecting on the face versus just filling the face with light. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also people will be filming inside and they either don't turn the lights off inside um, or they have the lights on but the lights that they are using in their light kit do not match the same Kelvin value as the lights inside the room. And the best thing to do for that is your sunlight is always somewhere between like 53 and 56. So if you have windows and it's daytime, turn all the lights off inside, open the windows, or not open the windows, but like open the blinds so that natural soft daylight ambient light gets in there and then just add your light kits where you need it at somewhere between 53 and 5600 mm-hmm. that's what we that's what we do all the time here that's at 53 or 5500 kelvin yeah that's which what, is how you measure the color temperature of light yep and we do that i think we did that four times that one weekend we were here with greg and the girls yeah filming inside because i mean you're you're f- and depending on how old or type lights are inside your house you can get some flickering and flickering's a pain so with leds you don't get flickering you get the flickering with the fluorescence which is just like your normal house can light or 
um, just like fan, regular fan bulb lights, but you don't get flickering with LEDs because they don't run off a of fe- off a of frequency. Um, so if you can just turn all those lights off and get away with it and just run LED lights, you're better off. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times when we shoot inside or when I do, I holy crap! I thought I just turned that off. Um, a lot of times when I'm podcasting inside, I he meant filming. Yeah, filming. I'm sorry. I try to just use the lighting setups, and because uh, house lighting is meant to light everything, and it's meant to light everything for the human eye, and cameras work entirely differently, and they're not as sensitive as the human eye, and they're not good at taking a variety of color temperature inputs and making it look nice. Like They all have to be the same temperature, and they all need to be brighter than what you and I would need to see. Um, I always get an awkward green tint when I use indoor lighting, too. Yeah, it's that fluorescent kind of gross tint. I've never been able to white balance that out either. Yeah, so really the best thing to do is try to light it all with your own lights, and then if you have to have some extra or some fill, then go and start turning on lights inside the house. Um, But I'm... I'm a fan of the kind of the darker, more dramatic lighting, so especially for interview setups and stuff like that. So it's worked well for me. Um, but yeah, I think to dive more into this might be a good uh, podcast to do with Aaron. So hopefully that's enough information at least to kind of get you started. Um, and YouTube's your best friend for that as well. Yeah, YouTube is really good because you can see go it. and see the different lighting setups, see what it looks like in camera, and see how it was set up. I think going back to our secret sauce podcast, people like lighting, people really underestimate the amount of stuff that like us three will still go to YouTube and search before we try it. Like I always hear you on YouTube looking up some type of After Effects, something on how to do it, and you're like doing it as you're watching the video. And I I think people think we're past that part and the reality is we actually do that like on a weekly basis yeah i mean i get an idea and i and i go oh this would be a cool thing to do and then i have to figure out what it is called yeah and how to look it up um but usually i just i just go with an idea and then figure out how to how to do it and that's usually youtube and forums and stuff like that um. Yeah, Google and YouTube is definitely your best friend. We use it all the time. Um. Let's see. Stanley underscore Harper asked the craziest hunting trip you've been on. I would say the craziest hunting trip w- for me would probably be when Caleb, Jamie, and I got stuck on a mountain for an for a night. Um, I think we've talked about that, but that was two seasons ago. Basically, we had a grizzly encounter. Yeah, well, this is my story, Clay. Sorry. Well, I now just know people know what happened. Well, I just know that this you ruined all this the suspense. Possible forty-five second story could turn into a four-minute story, and I was trying to avoid that. Clay, sorry. Let me tell my stories. Sorry. Don't sorry. don't micromanage me sorry. on the podcast. Sorry disrespectful. I was wrong. Thank you. 
Now I'm tempted to tell it for an hour just to spite you. <laughs> you didn't even know how long it was going to be. I was I 15 seconds into the story, and you just blurted out, they, they had a grizzly attack. Didn't we just have a conversation the other day about how hard it is to develop suspense in the outdoor industry, and you're going to sit here and do that to me? Drive the truck. Focus on yourself. Pay attention to your own business. I'm not sorry. You weren't I'm there. Sorry. Let me tell the story. I'm sorry. I was there in spirit. Actually, this was pre-clay. Barely. This was pre-clay, so no, no, I was not there in spirit. All right, go ahead. Sorry. There's nothing left. You ruined the whole story for everybody. You know what, Stanley? You can text Clay and ask him about the story since he knows so much <laughs> about it. Since he's going to tell the story, since he wants to tell the story, message at Clay Currington on Instagram. And ask him to tell you the freaking story that he knows so much about. If you know so much about the story, Clay, what was it that brought in the bear? Your tuna. Okay. That was good. I thought you weren't going to know that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 Bazinga. Gotcha. Um, anyways, the long story short, the TLDR, too long didn't read, is Caleb, Jamie, and I, on the last day of a... Uh, do-it-yourself public land hunt where we had been running into hunters at every turn, went to an area on the mountain that we hadn't been and devised a plan to stay there all day. We're going to hike up one side. We set up bikes on the other side so that we're going to hike down in the evening, get on the Rambos, and um, go back to the truck. We had not been up this mountain. We go up the mountain morning, stay during the day, and then on the Onyx maps we saw that there was a trail, and it looked pretty apparent uh, how to get down the trail. Turns out, at dark, it is not easy to find the trail. We spent probably a solid three hours with headlamps on trying to find the trail. Could never find the trail. We're out of food. We're out of water. We don't have a tent. We don't have extra jackets, sleeping bags, nothing, because we were not planning on being out uh, on the mountain that night. And... uh we decided we're too tired. Somebody's going to get hurt trying to do this in the dark. We clearly can't find it. We're just going to take the L, stay on the mountain overnight. Um, we all had survival kits, and um, I had a tarp. Caleb had actually like a Sitka survival tarp, and we pitched up a little little makeshift tent and uh, started a little fire. We're all exhausted. Uh, we're cold hungry, thirsty, and I, rooting around in my pack, found a one of those little to-go tuna things, little tuna packets that I had forgot was in there. I always find snacks in my bag. It's kind of a blessing. I always find them, forget that they've been in there, and then I'm like, oh, my gosh, a snack. And I was super stoked. I opened this tuna, and uh, no sooner did I do that than I heard some footsteps and, like, huffing. Like, large animal huffing. And I go, huh, that's odd. Caleb leans his head out of our little lean-to. His eyes get super big, and he goes, that's a bear. That's a bear. Jumps up. We are start yelling, bear, 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 go away, bear, all that. Yelling, making ourselves really big. We hear the bear go down the hill uh, a little ways, but we don't really know where it stopped. Of course, now our adrenaline is through the roof, um, and... We turned a small fire that we had into a very large fire super quickly. And uh, I played 
a downloaded Spotify playlist of 90s country the whole night, and none of us really slept very good because we were not prepared for there to be what Caleb says was a grizzly bear in the area because we were told there was no bears there. Clearly there was bears there, and uh, we spent the night not sleeping very well, and then it took us another, like, three hours to get off the mountain in the morning in the light. So that was probably the craziest. Caleb tells it better. Caleb's a little bit better of a storyteller than I am. But, uh, yeah, that's probably the craziest that I've had. What about you, Clay? I don't really have any crazy stories, if I'm honest. Well, So not only did I ruin your story, but I don't have one to follow up. That's boring. So it should really be. I've had some complete disasters, but I've never had anything like, dang, bro, that's crazy. No, I've never had that. Complete disaster isn't like you didn't see a single thing? Like, yeah, complete disasters. Yeah, I mean, that'll happen. So that definitely happens. Um, We got a question from Chris Wayne uh, Gerlatch. Gerlatch? Gerlatch? Gerslatch? Gerslatch? Gerlach. We know his last name. We're messing with him. Do we need um, to get a shot of that Illinois sign like I mentioned, or are we just going to do that later? We can do that later. Okay. Um, he said, creative ruts, question mark. I feel like I'm on a plateau when it comes to the shots that I'm getting. Who's that? Never heard of her. Creative rut? Yeah, never heard of her. Ever? Yeah, all the time. I was just trying to sound cool. Oh, it's like, you're going to find out eventually. <laughs> <laughs> Don't act cocky like that. So, yeah, I mean, I feel like everybody gets there. And everybody's got a little bit of a different approach to how they get out of that. Um, And it definitely sucks when you're in that situation. Like when you kind of start getting bored with the shots that you're getting or the edits that you're making and you're like, man, I just feel like I'm doing the same thing over and over and over again and I just don't know how to do it different or better. It can be really frustrating. Uh, For me, there's a couple things that I like to do. I... I try to go and I like to watch breakdowns of films and editing techniques and other things on YouTube. Kind of all those really nerdy, really nerdy film nerd stuff. And I try to have a continual flow of those into my information diet uh, all the time because I feel like you get a lot of really cool insights into films and pieces of art. TV uh, and editing techniques that you may not have had before and you know sometimes you can be watching something and you go oh man that was cool and it kind of triggers a thought to try to try that the other thing is just watching new and different stuff go watch a different show go watch a different YouTube channel go try to watch some different movies Um, if you find that you kind of watch the same thing over and over and over again venture out and try to watch something that's a little bit different than something you would normally watch. Or just go and watch something, anything. But try to try to get new new things into your head. Try to get new ideas from sources that you're not exposed to every day. Um, the next thing is, as far as shooting goes, I like to, I'll just try something. A lot of times, some of the, the things that have kind of broken me out of, out of a rut is just me just sitting in a stand thinking for a really long time. 
and going, huh, I wonder if that would work, and then trying it and trying it and trying it and trying it, and then the more you try it, you figure out, oh, maybe I could do it like that, maybe I could do it like that, and you kind of get an idea that way. Uh, and then I personally think this is this is probably the best and fastest way to get out of a creative rut is to go work with other creators, especially other creators that maybe you haven't worked with before, haven't worked with a lot. Go shoot with them, go follow them around, go watch them edit, go talk to them, go hang out with them, whatever, and expose yourself to somebody else's way of doing things, somebody else's style. And that can really unlock some ideas in your brain or put some inspiration or ideas in your brain that you didn't have before. You could go hang out with someone that's a really cool videographer and photographer and he likes to rollerblade and you could come up with so many new shots that you could get on rollerblades. And then you could realize that you'll never get to do that. And then your name would be Clay. I will one day use rollerblades for something that is hella needed on a shoot. And at that point, I will just stand and laugh at both of you. You won't stand. You'll roll. Around you in a circle. Like I'm circling you to attack. Try it. Just saying. People people saw my whip skills on the reel. Okay? You give me even more room than that to do what I need to do on my blades... You'll be sorry. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> the moment you rollerblade on a shoot is the moment clay blade sticks forever. I just fair. hope you know that. 100% fair. So, moral of the story is when you get in a creative rut, try to put in your brain new stimulus, new input, new inspiration. Because that's what's happening when you get in a rut. You're in a rut because you've been doing the same thing you know, over and over, and, you know, you're really dialed into that technique, you're really dialed into that style, but maybe you just, you haven't had a whole lot of input or a whole lot of different experience to really kickstart. Well, a lot of that could be you're limited by the client or, yeah. I mean, if, you've, if you're filming a web show and it's the same person and all the web shows look the same, I mean, you're kind of, it's not, it is kind it's not, I don't want to say it's your fault, but... You gotta. You're kind of. You have to do it a yeah, certain way. Yeah. You know, I guess that's another way. Just go try to film something different. Yeah. Try to go take photos of something different. Yeah. Um. Just try to break out of the box that you feel like you're in, and and get just some new inspiration, and it doesn't even have to be inside of the video, photo, TV, film world. I mean, you know, it, some people find inspiration from music, gets their brain working a different way. Um, maybe you go see a performance, go see some theater, I don't know, do something like that. Go golfing. Sure. I guess. What kind of inspiration do you get when golfing, Clay? I have no answer for that. <laughs> <laughs> but, I th- yeah, I think the best way to get out of creative rut is just expose yourself to new things. And hopefully that will kickstart something in your brain we'll kind of flip a switch we'll fire a neuron and you'll get a new idea or you know maybe I try to do it all the time you know I try to always be getting new things in my brain so that I have this I guess subconscious library of experience 
that as I'm shooting or editing or whatever, my brain just goes, ding, I remember that thing. This could be useful here. Just like the uh, that little collage segment that we that I put together a couple weeks ago. It wasn't, I wasn't in a creative rut to where I, I was inputting new information in my brain and I was like, oh, that's the one. It was just me continually seeking out new content, new types of shows to watch, and I, I watched The Queen's Gambit, which is something on chess, which I have 0% interest in chess, uh, so it's not like something that I would just go watch, but I saw that a lot of people were ranting and raving about how well done it was and how engaging it was as a series, and I thought, well, oh, I'm looking for something new to watch, let me go watch that. Turns out they're ranting and raving for a reason. It's excellently done, and... Uh, you know, when I was watching it and that, that particular scene came up, and if you guys want to know the scene, uh, hit me up on Instagram and I'll send you the YouTube video link. It's a really cool scene. But as I was watching it, and this ha- had to have been two, three, four months ago, I was watching this and I went, oh, that's a really cool scene. And that was it. My brain kind of filed it away until I was confronted with a a editing problem that I had to solve and uh, you know I was confronted basically with a scene that I've done multiple times and I wanted to try to do it a different way than I've done those other times and my brain just kind of pulled that up Uh, it just kind of went oh it connected the dots for me and was like hey this might be a good place for you to try this Um, and so I did and uh Verdict is still out if that scene makes the final cut of the episode. But I tried something new, and uh, I enjoyed it. Caleb and Clay like it, and uh, I think it's cool. And if nothing else, I tried something different, and I learned some some little techniques along the way that might help me later. But moral of the story is I just got some new input in my brain, and, and uh, it spurred that idea. And I think that as creatives, you constantly want to be fueling that creative fire, getting new, different um, information and content and inspiration inside your head from all kinds of different avenues, movies, YouTube, books, uh, talking to people, go shooting different things, go shooting and editing with people, having other people watch your work and critique it, going and looking at other work with a critical eye, talking with other creatives, really just trying to keep those creative juices flowing. And I think that helps a lot. So hopefully that helps you, Chris. Um, at Jake Ansel says, we'll trade merch for Debbie's and Casey's. So are we giving you the merch and you give us Casey's? Or am I giving you Casey's yeah, and you not, give me I'm the merch? I'm not going to go give anyone Casey's. They have to fight me for Casey's. Yeah. Yeah. They can have all the merch they want because I personally don't pay for the merch. So, <laughs> as bad as that sounds, Caleb, did you hear that? If I get the, if I can keep the Casey's, you can have as much merch as you want. <laughs> yes. What little we have, or none that we have. I mean, I'm highly swayed by uh, by Casey's for merch. Yeah, we need to. All these little sayings that we have, we need to get T-shirts made. What sayings do we have? Well, I can't give them away because people will go get them made. Oh, okay. Later. Um, and then last question here. 
Also, from Jake, for real, any new tips on turkey setups from different previous podcasts? I don't really have Turkey any. chair. Get a turkey chair. The turkey chair was cool. Not only for comfort, but how many times has your hunter had the perfect setup of where they want to sit, need to sit, can sit, or look beautiful on film, but then you have nowhere to sit? That turkey chair, you can literally sit directly behind them. I mean, when we were filming with Billy in Florida, perfect setup, but there was literally nowhere to sit. So I sat in the middle of the tall grass, and he leaned up against one of my legs. That's cute. And, I mean, it worked. We didn't kill anything, but it worked. So Nobody got a picture of you and Billy cuddling? Absolutely not. We didn't cuddle. We were on a reap miss- mission. Got real defensive there. Well, yeah, because I was trying to use it as an educational example, and you tried to get all, <laughs> oh, let's make fun of Clay for 15 seconds. And I was trying to be educational, and that's what I get for trying to help people out on the podcast. But, yes, get a turkey chair because it's three or four pounds you have to carry, but it's very nice to just unstrap it and be able to sit anywhere you want. And you got yours from Walmart for, like, what, 20 bucks? Uh, I think I got it before turkey season started a couple years ago for, like, 11 Because as, oh, as soon as turkey season hits, they go up to, like, 20 bucks. Oh, really? Yeah. But Mossy Oak makes them. Alps Outdoors makes them. I'm sure a bunch of other people make them. But, yeah. They're pretty clutch. I mean, I will not not carry one, whether I'm filming or hunting. I mean, I went on that guided trip this weekend, and I carried one the entire time. So they just making make sitting on the ground more comfortable. They do. They're tough to get out of. One, yeah, once, that once is. Once you're in them and you've sat in them for like thirty minutes to yeah. an hour, getting out of them, especially when you've been wrapped up under a tripod. Well, you sit so low and so leaned back that it's hard to get your legs up under yourself. Yeah. So, but yeah, just. Getting one of those, that way you can sit directly behind your hunter if, if needed. Um, I mean, we sat in them in Florida when you sat in that hog pen, and I sat right next to that, or that cattle pen, and I sat right next to it. Yeah, um, super comfortable. Yeah, so comfort, and it makes filming easier. So I'd spend $20 and get a turkey chair. Yeah, I mean, other than that, most of the uh, turkey tips have stayed the same. Get you a net, get away with murder under it, and... Uh, Shoot him in the face with a shotgun. And I think that pretty much wraps it up. I mean, we're at an hour and 22. I didn't think that we are going to do that long. But, uh, you know, I talk a lot. You talk a lot. We've been driving. So, got anything else to add? Nope. That's all I got. I don't have anything else to add either. So, we will see you all next time. Peace.